I have some information that I want to draw to your attention this morning as we get ready to, to begin our time in the Word. It's on the back of your, of your worship guide. If you'll grab that and look at it with me just briefly, I want to explain the, the financial numbers that are there because they are different. Um, as you can see, year to date, we're about 73000 below our core budget. Uh, that's a different number than you've been seeing, and, I, and it seems a wiser number to us to present to you at this point in time. Our core budget is the budget that's needed to sustain our existing ministries. <clears throat> the full budget that was presented to you earlier, that involves ministry expansion, new ideas, new ministries. Um, at this point in time, uh, we seem to be a better target is our core budget, keeping lights on staff paid, ministries running. We are $73,000 below that level. So ministries are being curtailed because of the financial shortfall that our church is experiencing at present. Um, uh, one of those is that our, uh, our staff have no ministry funds available to them to use. So if they go to a conference, they pay for it out of their own pocket if they buy books. Most critically, if Rob Craig goes to lunch with somebody, now he has to not only convince them of the gospel, but he has to convince them to buy his lunch. So it's that serious. Um, the good news is the last couple weeks we've been letting you know about this need and the giving is looking much, much better the last couple weeks. As, you, as you've become aware of the need um, and have prayed about it, God is supplying through you and through through others. This week I got a note just by way of encouraging you of a, of a guy that visited our church last week um, to visit his family who has been part of our church. They're moving away. He'll never come to our church again. But our church has so impacted his family and whenever he comes he encounters Christ here so meaningfully that he cut us a check for 300 bucks last week just, just to bless our church because we've been such a blessing to his family and to him. He'll never be here again. So God is providing our needs through extraordinary means and ordinary means like you. So thank you for your faithfulness. We want to keep that trajectory um, through the end of the year. Um, so please make that a matter of prayer as I'm about to talk with you about today. The other thing you see on there is something called the Journey of, J-O-F stands for Journey of Faith. And it is our building campaign to pay off the debt on all of our facilities on our, our campus. About nine years ago or so, we built this building and built our office uh, modular and our adult classrooms all came on at that point in time. And uh, we are in the process of paying that off. We are um, two-thirds of the way there, okay? Only a third remains. We are within a handful of years of being debt-free as a church and uh, our hope is to invest wildly in ministries at that point in time. But I, I want to make sure that you understand there are two numbers presented because they really function as two separate budgets, two separate needs in our church. Our general fund, which is all of our regular ongoing ministries, and we, we said as a church family when we decided to build this building and the others that we would not imperil that budget by adding expenses to it. Instead, we would make sacrificial gifts above and beyond our regular giving, to pay off the buildings we would build. So that's why there are two budgets, um, two needs that are presented there. And in every year, we make a commitment above and beyond our regular giving to pay off our facilities debt. 
Everyone who calls Northwake home makes that commitment. And we do that as God provides for us every year. And you'll notice we're a little bit below on that as well. We're about 24,000 below. And so I just want to let you know that it does not really help the church to rob Peter to pay Paul. Okay? So to say, oops, the general fund's in need. So I'm going to take what I normally gave to the building campaign and give to the general fund. That's not helpful. If, if, you, if you took what you, you did you did to, you know, if you would spend less at Kohl's and give it at the general fund, that helps us. But taking from the building campaign, so these are two great needs. And in two weeks, uh, as a church family, we'll make our commitments for next year uh, towards our debt. And I want to encourage you to be part of that. You'll receive a packet of information this week about that in the mail. And if you don't, you'll be able to pick one up uh, this coming Sunday. So over the next three weeks, I'll be teaching us on prayer um, as we ready ourselves, counting today on prayer, um, as we get ready to make those pledges. Some of you are wondering what, if you're going to have a capital campaign, why are you teaching on prayer? And I think Jesus said it best. He said, this kind only comes out by prayer, okay? Um, (laughs) It is... This is the happy intersection of our annual priority to draw near to our good and mighty king and our great need um, financially. Um, you know, uh, two, two weeks ago, I was, I was granted, as I am every fall, by the elders and by my wife, a week away of solitude um, to, to pray for the church, to study, to reflect, and to restore my own soul. Those are the things that I do during those times. And I spent a good portion of this week reading the writings and kind of interacting with a fellow named John Newton. Um, you know him probably as the man who wrote Amazing Grace a couple hundred years ago. And uh, he was a, a former slave trader turned um, pastor and hymn writer. And like I said, Amazing Grace is the one you know best. Here's another one, another lyric that Newton wrote. He says, thou art, a coming, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. Now, uh, Newton has a history of seeing God work remarkably in response to prayer because he believed in this principle. He believed in He believed in what he called large asking of God. And uh, when when he was asked to explain what he meant by that, Newton would cite a legendary story about uh, Alexander the Great. There was a man who, Alexander Great, desired to marry a man's daughter, and he said that there would be a large sum of money that would be required if Alexander the Great was to marry his daughter. And um, Alexander agreed and told the man to request of Alexander's treasurer whatever he wanted. So the father of the bride went and asked for an outrageous amount of money. And the treasurer was startled and said he could not give out that kind of money without a direct order. And he, so the treasurer went to Alexander, and the treasurer argued that even a small um, fraction of the money requested would more than serve the purpose. And Alexander said this. He said, no. He said, let him have it all. 
I like that fellow, he said. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. And Newton would say, in the same way, we should go to the throne of God's grace and present petitions that express honorable views of the love, riches, and bounty of our king. So God has us in a place where he is teaching us how to seek him in prayer, how to ask large asks of God because he is such a great and mighty king. We, we're learning how to do that as a church family. We are learning, many of us, how to do that for our own families. And tonight at 7 p.m., we gather... Seven? How about six? Come at six, it would be better. <laughs> at 6 p.m. tonight, we'll gather in this room. This is what we'll do. We'll spend... Our elders are going to lead us in a time of praying for the financial needs of the church. And then we're going to pray for your needs, the needs of your families, whatever that might be. So tonight, we're, we're going to do that together as a church family. Now, as Newton's story illustrates, um, who you think you're talking to determines what you will ask. Okay? Um, and today, that's what I want us to do together is to sort out and get a sense for who it is that we are really praying to. So that we will do the large asking that honors our good and mighty king. So to do that, I want to survey the gospel of Matthew that we have been studying and look at the teaching, the prayers, and the actions that relate to prayer in Matthew's gospel um, that Jesus brings to us. Um, and we'll get a sense there for the love, riches, and bounty of our king. This is the God that we pray to every time we pray. Um, so I am going to start at the beginning and run through about a dozen or so passages in Matthew with a single objective. Who does Jesus have in mind when he prays and he teaches us to pray? Okay. Who is the God behind Jesus' prayers? Now, I have a single objective for you personally as well as you go through this. I want you to answer the question, what is the Spirit saying to me about the character of God here that I need to bear in mind when I pray? What is the one thing that I am seeing about God that needs to shape my prayers? Now, you get bonus points for taking notes and chasing me all over Matthew. But you fail if you do not walk out of the room with one clear insight about the character of God that you want to have shape your prayers in the days that are ahead. You may have more than that, but everybody needs to walk out of this room with at least one insight about the character of God uh, through the teachings of Jesus in Matthew about prayer that we want to shape our own prayers. So um, open up your Bibles. We'll start in Matthew chapter 5 and go all the way to the end. It's a selective teaching on prayer. It's not every reference to prayer. We'd be here too long for the folks in second service to show up if we did everyone. Prayer's a big deal. 
to Jesus. So we'll start in chapter 5 and work our way selectively through the gospel. And again, you are listening for the Spirit's prompting about the one thing that must shape your prayers about God in this, in this teaching. Okay. Let's bow and ask God to give that to us. Father, show us by your word and by your spirit who you are for us when we, when we bow our heads and close our eyes and talk to you. In this moment, who are we speaking to? God, show us. Show us that we might honor you with the prayers that we bring to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we start in Matthew 5. Verse 43, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the, the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So when we pray, Jesus is teaching us here that we pray to a God who is so lavish in his love that it even spills out on his enemies, people who oppose him, people who persecute his children. He, he loves them. Behind this teaching on how we should pray for our enemies is a God who is perfect in his love, even for his enemies. So without doubt, when we pray, when we bow our heads and close our eyes, we are praying to a God who loves even us. Whenever we pray, this is the God we are praying to. Now flip over a page to chapter 6. Jesus is in his great Sermon on the Mount, and he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may seem by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When we pray, Jesus is teaching us, we pray to a God who sees in secret. And this, this secrecy implies that we have a single focus in our praying. We are coming to God alone. I'm not praying to impress you. I'm not praying to move you. It's just God, and he sees, and he hears. When you come in that kind of faith, you bring your needs, your troubles, your cares to God alone, Jesus says you are praying to a God who is eager to reward those who come to him in secret. When you pray and you put your hope, cast your cares on God alone, you pray to a God who is eager to reward you, Jesus says. Whenever we pray, this is the God 
this rewarding God is the God that we pray to. In just the next couple verses, Jesus continues and says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So when we pray, we pray to a Father who already knows our needs. And this, this always raises the question, well, then why bother? You know, why pray at all? And what Jesus is doing is pushing prayer more towards relationship and not just about information. And he presents a father who is so attentive, so interested in you, that he already knows your need before you even tell him. The act of prayer is designed then to pull our hearts towards God when our needs are great and to cast our cares on Him. It's like, imagine a little child, a little girl, your little girl, and she's walking, walking down the road and a large dog comes out to a fence and terrifies her. You see it, you know, but she still runs to you in tears and she tells you about the big dog who terrified her. You knew already, but she still needs to run to you. It's about, it's about running to the loving care of the Father who knows. When you pray, you are coming near to a God who doesn't need to be informed, but you're drawing near to a loving Father who already knows your needs. You're drawing near to Him to receive His love and care for you in your time of greatest needs. Whenever you pray, that's the God that you are praying to. Now, this teaching of prayer continues in the next verse. Jesus says, this is how you're supposed to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is one of the richest, densest portraits of God that you can imagine when you look at it in terms of what kind of God is behind this prayer. He's Father. He's our Father with all the power and intimacy that that, that, that implies. When you pray, it's like a child talking to a loving Father. But he's also a father who is in heaven. There he's a great king who rules over a kingdom in heaven. And his name is to be hallowed. It's to be exalted above all names. We pray to a father who rules over the earth such that he's going to be able to enforce his will here as he already does in heaven. He rules over heaven and earth, this God, behind this prayer. He, dwells, he rules heaven, but he's near enough that He can provide for our daily bread, our daily needs. He's our provider. He's the one who forgives our sins. He has power to direct our steps away from temptation. Think about that. He is so sovereign that He can lead you away from temptation. He can rule over the Internet. He rules over cable channels. He rules over conversations at work. He rules over magazine ads. He is Lord 
in sovereign in such a way that he can steer you away from temptation. He's Lord over all those things, and he's powerful enough that he can deliver you from the evil one. The God you pray to has that kind of power. You pray to one greater than the tempter who they say, the scriptures say, is like a lion searching for someone to devour. The God you pray to is greater still. So in this simple prayer, Jesus is unfolding an amazing portrait of the God behind this prayer that we pray to. And whenever you pray, this is the God you are praying to. Your Father in heaven, whose name is exalted above all names, who rules as a great king in heaven, and he's going to bring his will upon the earth, who provides your daily bread, who forgives your debts, your sins, and can lead you away from temptation and deliver you from the evil one. That's the God. Whenever you pray, this is the God that we pray to. Flip another page in your Bibles, chapter 7. Jesus asked, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. <clears throat> or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent, give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When we pray, we pray to a really generous giver. Jesus portrays the Father as so eager to give us whatever we need. He's a generous giver. And he's good too. Essentially, Jesus says, he's better than your dad on his best day. Okay. There's a guy named Steve Deneff, and he tells about a time when his dad wanted to congratulate him on something he had accomplished in the sixth grade. This is an amazing story. He says, my dad took me to Kmart and made a, uh, made a wide sweeping gesture with his hand towards the whole store from the entrance. And he said, to congratulate you, son... I'll buy you anything in the store tonight. He says, my eyes widened at the possibilities. And he says, at the time, he's just in sixth grade, he said, I didn't have a full grasp of how money worked or how much money dad had. So I sort of limited things in my mind. I didn't even look at the huge stereo systems, the expensive bikes, or anything that cost more than $100 instead. And he's dating himself here. I chose a cassette tape case. Kids, you can ask your mom what that is. That was less than $50. Okay. I was content with just that case. It was more than I could afford myself, for sure. So I chose that one. It was nice. He says, only many years later did I find out from dad that he had $1,000 cash in his pocket that night. And what's more, he says, he brought the checkbook along just in case that wasn't enough. He says, I limited his blessing in my life. And then he, he turns it to us and he says, imagine how much God has in his pocket for you. 
You don't ask God for all the spiritual power you could because you forget that you are his child, like me and my earthly father. You don't realize all he could do for you, in you, and through you. Jesus says he is better than your dad on his best day. He's that good. He's that generous. He's way better. And when you pray, every time you pray, this is the God you pray to. Wildly generous, exceptionally good to his children. I flip a page again to chapter 9. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So whenever you pray, you are praying to the Lord of the harvest who is able to raise up and send out laborers into his harvest. Destinies are determined by him. Laborers are dispatched by him. My last uh, trip overseas, I had a chance to visit one of our North Wake families in the largest city on earth, uh, by some counts. You've never heard of it. It's buried in the middle of China. No one's ever heard of it. 20-some, maybe as many as 25 million people live in this city. Um, And this North Wake family that's there, Jason and Cassie, were sent there because, I believe, someone, somewhere, prayed for that great city to the Lord of the harvest. And so we didn't send them out. God, the Lord of the harvest, sent this young couple and their little ones to live in the largest city on earth. And the gospel witness there is shockingly non-existent. Uh, We got this note from Jason not long ago. He says, there are several cities near our current mega city with a population of over one million people. So, So these cities are twice the size of Raleigh proper. That's what we're talking about. Two Raleigh's. Bigger than Raleigh-Durham proper together. He says, uh, we sent out teams with surveys to discover the Christians' presence in these cities, three of these cities. He says, they came back in awe as they reported that in each city, not one Christian was found. Not one church was found. No one that they spoke to, no one that they spoke to even knew another Christian in their city. Twice the size of Raleigh. Pray. When you pray, you're praying to the Lord of the harvest who sends people, who changes people's destinies and moves them to cities like these so that somehow someone will hear and believe. The church will be born in that city. I can't tell you enough, if if you are thinking about a family vacation and you want to do a big one, to go to one of these cities where our, our missionaries live and spend your vacation there, it will be the vacation of a lifetime. Your family will be changed by it. Your kids will talk about it the rest of their lives. 
And you will pray to the Lord of the harvest differently than you pray now. So when we pray, when, when Britain and Tara's faces are flashed up on the screen and all the other families um, that we pray for who've gone to places where the name of Jesus is not known and his story has never been heard, we are praying to the Lord of the harvest, the one who changes people's destinies and sends laborers out. But it's not just on that scale. Maybe Maybe you have an unbelieving family member that lives far from you. And so you can't sit down with them and have a cup of coffee and a piece of pie and tell them about your faith. That's not possible to sit with them. But when you pray, you pray to the Lord of the harvest who sends out laborers into the harvest. And he's capable and desirous to send people to your family members whom you can't sit down with, but they can. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. And maybe that's why you live where you live. Maybe that's why you're in the classes you're in. You're, you're in the job that you're in. Because somebody prayed to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. And he sent you. When we pray, each time we pray, we pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's, that's the God we pray to. Flip another page. Chapter 11, verse 25. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Again, we see that when we pray, we're praying to the Father who is the Lord of heaven and earth. Your Father is Lord of all. There's not one place on earth that you are praying about that is outside of his rule. Nowhere. Wherever your loved ones are that you are praying for, the Father is Lord there. And he has the ability to hide and reveal truth to people. God rules for over the places where the people live that you are praying for. And he has the ability to reveal truth to little children, to needy ones, to the helpless. It is your Father's gracious will. You pray to the revealer of truth, to the Lord of heaven and earth. Whenever you pray, this is the God you pray to. Flip again another page, chapter 14, starting in verse 19. Jesus ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing, a prayer. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces Left over. Here, Jesus in faith blesses the one who is about to miraculously satisfy the needs of thousands, maybe tens of thousands. See, when you pray, 
You pray to a God who can feed thousands from one little boy's bag lunch. He satisfies people's physical needs by the thousands. You should bring your needs to this God, okay? He can meet your needs. Without question, he can meet your needs. And that's who you pray to, the one who meets the physical needs of thousands upon thousands of people. Whenever you pray from your place of greatest need, this is, this is the God you pray to. The next couple of verses teach us more. It says, immediately after that miracle, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. When Jesus was exhausted after, after the busiest of days, he would often steal away to pray to his Father, we're told. When you pray, you pray to the same Father that Jesus stole away and spent the night praying to. Same Father, Jesus' Father. That's who you are praying to. Isaiah puts it beautifully. He says this, God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus, Father, waits for you in prayer. Whenever you pray, that's who you pray to. The same Father, Jesus, prayed. Flip a couple more pages to chapter 17. It says in verse 20, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Um, Chapter 21 has the same idea in verse 21. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what's been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Behind these amazing prayer promises is a God who moves mountains. He doesn't just move them like a little bit. He takes mountains, throws them into the sea. He does, Jesus' meaning, he does what's humanly impossible. That's why when everyone else has given up, when all other options has failed, when the doctors don't hold any hope, we can still pray. Because our God, the God we pray to, he throws mountains into the sea when we pray. I love the story that Davy Troxell tells. He he has an eight-year-old son. He came home from uh, school with a stuffed animal he had won at the class Valentine's party. And so he asked him, he said, how did that happen? And his little eight-year-old son says, well, 
The teacher put all our names together and then picked one out. And then looking guilty, he said, I cheated, though. His dad looked at him. He said, I prayed. (laughs) (laughs) See, wherever, whenever you pray, this is the God you pray to. The God who throws mountains into seas, who moves mountains and stuffed animals. Flip a bunch of pages all the way to chapter 26. It's the last last night of Jesus' earthly life, last night before the cross. And Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Hours from the cross now. And he said, said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Behind Jesus' prayers is a God in whom he finds comfort. Solace in his darkest hour, in his greatest need. Behind your prayers is a father who can be trusted with your greatest sadness, your greatest sorrow, your greatest suffering, your greatest fears, your greatest disappointments. Jesus believes he can bring his sorrows again and again and again to the Father. And he believes that the Father can be trusted and thereby submitted to even if his worst fears come to pass. See, when we are in the hardest place, the darkest place, we cast our sorrows when we pray on the same God Jesus cast his sorrows on. We submit to the God who redeemed the world through Jesus' suffering. And whenever we pray from the darkest of places, facing our greatest suffering and fears, we can cast our cares on this same God. This is the God we pray to. One last verse in the next chapter, in chapter 27. Jesus is now on the cross about the ninth hour. Jesus cries out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, um, lema sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What I I want to point out to you in that prayer is that Jesus is praying to a father whose forsaking puzzles him. It's not normal. 
It's never happened before that the Father should forsake the Son. Why did the Father forsake the Son this time? Because Jesus came to a holy God bearing sin. Not his sin. He was bearing our sins. And sin born into the presence of a holy God brings about forsakenness. So you don't want to come to God bearing your own sin. Having tried to pay for it yourself or work it off yourself, if you come to the Father bearing your own sin, it it leads to this forsakenness. But this Father, Jesus' Father, has promised us because Jesus bore our sin into his presence on the cross then, he has promised never to forsake his children. Never to forsake anyone who comes to him having their sins borne by the good and mighty King Jesus on the cross. I will never fail you nor forsake you, this Father, the Father that we pray to. Every time we pray, that's what he promises to his children. Whenever we pray, we pray to a a Father who will not forsake us. When you pray, every time you close your eyes and bow your head, every time you earnestly pray, you are coming to this God, the God that Jesus revealed in his own prayers and teaching. He's a God who loves his enemies, who rewards those who seek him, who already knows our needs, is our Father is exalted above all other names, is king of heaven and earth, is our provider, is sovereign enough to spare us from temptation and powerful enough to deliver us from from the evil one. He's a generous giver. He's better than our dads on their best day. He's Lord of the harvest who reveals truth to the needy, who satisfies the hunger of thousands whom Jesus sought all night long, who moves mountains, even throwing them into the sea. It's the God Jesus brought his greatest sorrows to, yet submitted to his will, and through that submission brought redemption to the whole world. This God will not forsake those who believe in Jesus. Whenever you pray, every time you pray, this is the God that you pray to. He's the God of Jesus' prayers and his teachings. And so, as I mentioned, this is the God we pray to tonight at 6 o'clock when we gather in this room as his people. And our elders are going to lead us as we pray, as we bring to our, our good and mighty king the needs of our church. And it's this God that we're going to pray to as we bring your needs that you would share with us tonight. As your church family will bring those needs to the Father tonight. What's, what's the thing that Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew has brought to your mind that must shape your prayers? 
What's, what's numero uno, the top, top shelf? What's the one that you have to do? What's the one that you long to see shape the way you pray? I encourage you to fix that in your mind. Of course, you don't have to wait till tonight to test drive that. You can come right now. Worship team's going to come and lead us in a time of closing, responsive worship. And if God's speaking to you about praying to him, bringing your needs to a particular character of God, then during this time of, of worship, our songs, which are prayers, it'd be wonderful for you to come, bow down here, and pray to the Father. Pray to your provider, your forgiver, the Lord of heaven and earth, or whatever the attribute is of God that you've seen this morning. You know, it's so important that you obey God promptly when he speaks to you. And that's why we want to make this time available. Our elders, they'll come down and they'll stand in the, in the front rows on either side here. If you would like someone to pray with you about this, our elders and our pastors will be down there. If there's any of our women's ministry team here, I'd like to ask you to do the same if you'd come to these two side areas. So there'll be someone down here to pray with you if you want them to. Just approach someone in one of these sections and we'll pray with you. But you can bring your friend or you can bring your family or you can come alone. Um, if God is prompting you to pray, then this is a good time to start. Okay? Let's stand and let's worship the God who loves us.